Hello, everybody, and welcome to Mrs. G's Storytime. We are reading the book Betsy Timboom, Promise of God by Mike Evans with permission from Time Worthy Books, and we are on Chapter 16. Later that summer, Noli completed school to become a teacher. A small ceremony marked her graduation. Mama was too ill to attend, but the rest of us went to commemorate the occasion and celebrate a great achievement in her life. When the event was over, I walked with Noli and Corey down to the exit. As we made our way to that direction, I saw Vincent standing alone near the front door. He smiled at me as we approached. I felt my heart rate quicken. Betsy, he grinned. I was hoping I would see you here today. Something inside of me jumped at the sound of his voice. I didn't know you were here, I exclaimed. All this time, you were in Noli's class? He shook his head. No, I'm just here for my cousin. We've about all the family either of us has left. That was a puzzling comment, I asked. How is your aunt? He glanced away, and the joy left his voice. She died a few months ago. Then the smile vanished from his face, too. She had been sick most of the year. It was tough on her. On all of us, actually. Once again, I blundered my way into details of his life that I should have known. First about his mother when we talked at our graduation, and now about his aunt. I'm sorry, I lamented. My life has been limited to Papa's shop and the customers we see there. I had not heard the news about your aunt. I really hadn't heard, and I felt bad because of it. Not many did, he responded, looking up at me. She was confined to the house for the year, and before that she'd kept to herself anyway, especially after I graduated from school. Still, I fretted, I should have known. It's okay. By then, Corey and Noli had walked outside. I could see them through the window and the door. Papa passed me, and I glanced in his direction. Go ahead, I suggested. I'll catch up later. He tossed a wave in my direction as he pushed open the door. When he was with the others, I turned back to Vincent. How are you doing now? Still at the university? No, I have a job across town. Oh, that was another surprise. I didn't realize you were living here now. Yes, he nodded sheepishly. Still right here. So what kind of job do you have? Once again, he looked away and let his gaze drop to the floor. I read meters on the city electrical service, he said quietly. From the tone of his voice, I could tell he wasn't proud of it. Numbers, I replied, trying to think of something positive to say. You were always good with numbers. And I get a lot of exercise, he chuckled, walking from place to place to read the meters. I'm sure you do. It's not the career I wanted, but it gives me a way to make some money, and if everything works out, maybe I can attend the university next year. What was a career you wanted? We were bouncing from topic to topic, but I couldn't think of anything else to say. And as strange as it seemed to me, I wanted him to keep talking. Engineering, I suppose. Was that really it? No, he had a pleasant smile. I wanted to be a mathematician. Just then, the president of the school approached us. Time to go. We need to turn out the lights. Vincent placed his hand against the small of my back and gestured towards the door. Come on, I'll walk you home. A tingle ran up my spine as he touched me, and without hesitation, I walked with him towards the door. You don't have to do that. I can find my own way. I really could find my way safely home, but in my heart, I was hoping he would assist on accompanying me. The sound of his voice was like music. The look he gave me when he smiled made me melt, and my mind raced. How could I have ever been so foolish to turn him away? How could I possibly live a happy life with gladness and joy and fulfillment if he wasn't in it? 
On and on my mind ran, like the schoolgirl who walked home with him to play cricket in the alley, and much like I imagined Corey must have with Carol. All the while, pangs of guilt stabbed at my conscience. I had nothing but good intentions when I spoke to her of him, but now I was more certain than ever that much of it had been driven by my own unsettled attitude towards my decision never to marry. Such a hasty decision, straight from the mind of a foolish, self-important child, engrossed only in her myopic vision of right and wrong. Certainty and purpose, and all of it so narrow and self-serving. I wanted to hit myself. Where did I get these ideas? What changed? One minute I was a calm, rational woman, attending my sister's graduation, thinking of invoices I needed to send and bills that needed to be paid. And the next minute, I turned to mush. Before, I wanted nothing to do with Vincent or any other man. Now, with all my heart, I wanted him to. We shouldn't walk alone, Vincent's voice cut through the confusion in my mind, separating confidence from doubt, clarity from disorder, and saying the very thing I wanted him to say, I'll go with you. Then I thought of what he'd said earlier about why he was standing by the door. What about your cousin? Weren't you waiting for him? No, Vincent said, to my everlasting relief. He left just before you came along. I was suspicious about whether that was the truth, and in my mind I imagined him lingering by the door waiting for a chance to see me, hoping I would pass by, just as I did. But there was nothing more to say then. Well then, let's be off. From the school, Vincent and I made our way slowly back towards the house. He was in no hurry, and neither was I. My heart no longer raced at the sight of him, but I wanted the evening to go on forever. So I kept asking questions, and he kept talking. At last, we arrived at the shop and came to a stop outside the display window. I moved near the door and leaned against the door frame, hoping he would kiss me. He continued to talk a few minutes longer and then said, as casually as ever, It's been nice talking to you. I hope to see you again. Yes, that would be nice. Do you live around here? No, but it's not that far, and I'll be home before long. Maybe hitch a ride on the delivery truck. Then he turned away and started up the street. I wanted to run after him, wrap my arms around his neck, and kiss him as he had never been kissed before, in a way that would make him want to stay as much as I wanted it. But I just stood there and watched until he reached the corner a block away as he would have made the turn and slipped from my sight. He glanced back over his shoulder, raised his hand high, and gave me a wave. Tears came to my eyes at the sight of it, and I was as full as the night, long ago when he kissed me on the cheek. Through the summer, Corey and Carol continued to write, and she continued to talk about him at every opportunity. Only now I didn't object. My eyes were open, and now I knew how she felt. Day after day, I returned in my mind to that afternoon when we were walking home with Vincent and I was with him. The giddiness of being liked by someone special. The hint of these things to come. The tingling down deep as every cell of my body came alive to the wonderful possibilities that life had to offer. Now I remembered all that afresh and anew, as if feeling it for the first time. And I kept silent when Corey talked and looked away when she checked the mail. I knew there was only an occasional letter from Carol, in contrast to the one she sent daily. But now, instead of needling her about it or arching an accusing eyebrow, I helped her cover for his lack of correspondence, agreeing with her that he was busy finishing school, busy with his position as an assistant rector, and preoccupied with the details of a new job. And late at night, Corey came to my room to talk, 
Only now I was not a hindrance to the discussion, but a facilitator. And together we plunged like sisters into a world straight from the pages of those novels she read. A place where love and romance prevailed, and where marriage was no longer a dream. And it was all in these conversations I learned that Corey expected a proposal almost any day. Perhaps by Christmas she would be engaged, followed by a midsummer wedding. Only now I hoped with all my heart that dream would come true. As I had wanted, Vincent returned, and through the remainder of the summer he called on me almost every night. Nellie was busy looking for her work as a teacher, and Corey spent the evenings in her room writing to Carol, which meant Vincent and I had the parlor to ourselves. When we tired of it, we went for a walk in the cool of the evening, when all the shops were closed and the city grew quiet and still. As we strolled along the empty streets, I hung onto his arm and soaked up every word that fell from his lips. Eventually, summer ebbed, and one night in August, as we strolled the streets of Harlem, I learned that Vincent's dream of returning to university wasn't merely a dream. Through hard work and a frugal lifestyle, he had saved enough money to cover the first semester's expense. Perhaps, he said with a characteristic optimism, I can do well enough to get a scholarship for the rest. I can join you in praying that that is so. When we arrived at the house, I bid him good night and turned to go inside. All at once, he took me by the arm and gently turned me towards him. Only this time he did not kiss me on the cheek as he had so long ago. This time he placed his lips softly against mine, and I welcomed them there. Not long after that, Vincent left for school, and the evenings became unbearable. I spent most of the time lying on the bed reading one of Corey's novels and thinking how much like her I'd become. At first I thought I was doing a great job hiding my moodiness. Then Mama knocked on my bedroom door. Before I could answer, she let herself in and took a seat in a chair between the bed and the window. She smiled. You've had quite a summer. Yes, ma'am, I agreed. Rather different from what I had expected. Did you enjoy your time with Vincent? Yes, I nodded. I did. She asked wearily. How do you feel about that? As I said, I enjoyed his company. I wasn't sure what she was asking. No, she corrected. I meant, how do you like the fact that you enjoyed it? Oh, questions about my private life always left me flustered. Well, that's a little different. I suspect so. And she gave a little flitter of laugh when she said it. Rather a departure from what I was telling Corey just a few months ago. Yes, I've thought of that. And I think that's how God works. If we can't see what he wants us to see any other way, then he leads us into an experience that opens our eyes. My eyes are open, I assured her. I realized that. She paused a moment and looked away as if searching for just the right thing to say. Then she looked at me and in the kindest voice imaginable said, You know, I don't think you should feel bound by a decision you made years ago. This time I knew precisely what she meant. I'm still a person with pernicious anemia, I reminded her. Yes, only now it's not quite as pernicious as it once was and not nearly as scary. I still don't think I should bear children. Perhaps not, she said in a conciliatory tone. But that is only one side of the matter. Marriage brings on many things that cannot be obtained by any other means. Love, commitment, fulfillment, completion. You can't find these to the same degree anywhere else. But it would be in a marriage without children. Marriage without children doesn't have to be sad or contentious. When she was gone, I tossed aside the book I'd been reading and lay on the bed thinking about what she'd said. That promise I'd made to myself to never marry was a promise of a young girl. It was based on the best information available at the time, but it was a promise for that day and that moment. 
Since then, time has moved on and my circumstances were different. Back then, no one knew for certain if medical treatments would forestall the long-term effects of my condition. After years of medical care, my body had proved that there was no longer an issue. So lying there in the still of the evening, I resolved that I would no longer be bound by that promise. I would take each day as it came and wait to see what the future might hold. Fall continued its downward slide into winter, and as December approached, Corey was certain St. Nicholas Eve, a traditional Dutch holiday in the early December, was the time when Carol would propose. His letters, though more irregular now than ever, and somewhat cryptic, spoke of the details one might consider in whether to marry. A couple's intellectual compatibility, their desire for children, whether they hail from complementary social ranks. And the last criterion struck me as telling. As I pushed aside my concern and joined Corey in believing that it would be the moment for which she had longed all her life. He would want to spend Christmas with his family, she reasoned. Everyone was to be home for the holiday. But St. Nicholas Eve is different. Being away from home is much more acceptable then, and he would come here for the entire week. That would be perfect. He could talk to Papa, give me a ring, and we would be all set. Just to make sure, early in the month, Corey wrote to Carol and extended an invitation for him to celebrate the holiday at our home. He replied almost immediately, which was rather unlike him, and agreed to stop by a few days early, though not for the holiday itself and not for an overnight visit. He had something he wanted to say, and it needed to be said in person. As you might expect, Corey looked past the nuance of the letter focused solely on the fact that he wanted to tell her something, and was swept into a state of euphoria. I thought something was amiss, and, for the first time in months, was genuinely worried that she would be terribly hurt. But I ignored the warning signs and joined her in the bliss of the moment. Noli worked as a teacher, which kept her awake all day, and Mama was confined to her bedroom most of the time. I helped as much as time allowed, but with Christmas not far off, business in the shop had picked up and we were actually on the verge of turning a profit for the year, which with the war dragging on and no end in sight, we had not expected. Tending to customers and keeping the ledger straight took most of my attention. As a result, most of the preparation for Carol's visit fell to Corey and Aunt Anna. For the next three weeks, they worked to put the house in perfect order, cleaning, sorting, stacking, and arranging. So much so that Papa complained it was hard to relax in a parlor with all the furniture in an unfamiliar location. At last, after everything in the house had been arranged, rearranged, and moved once more, the week of celebration arrived. On Monday, Corey was in a frenetic state, running to the window at every sound, staring out for hours at the street below, hoping for a glimpse of him. When nighttime came and he still wasn't there, she languished near despair, imagining that the worst had happened. I assured her there was nothing to worry about, though inside I was more worried than ever and tried to distract her by insisting that we play the piano. With Noli and Papa helping, we spent the evening singing and laughing. The following day, about the middle of the afternoon, the shop door opened, and I looked up from my desk to see Carol standing just a few meters away. He had a smile on his face, but it didn't seem at all pleasant. And when I had time to recover, I saw why. Trailing behind him, but holding a tight grip on his hand, was a willowy wisp of a woman. She was about his height, though much younger, with long blonde hair and large round eyes. Although pretty, she was by no means gorgeous, with delicate features and prominent cheekbones. But as my eyes fell on her hand, my heart, almost wounded and shaking, sank, for there on her finger was a diamond ring. I could not believe it. 
From upstairs came the hurried thud of footsteps, and I knew Corey had heard his voice. A moment later, the sound reached the top of the steps, and the thud turned to a patter as she came lightly towards the first floor. Carol, she exclaimed, you made it. And the pace of her footsteps slowed as she saw the woman who clung so tightly to Carol's hand. I turned to watch as Corey reached the bottom of the stairs, came to an abrupt stop, then took a halting step towards them. Carol glanced at the woman beside him and said with a broad smile, This is William's little sister. Isn't she just like I described? By the look in her eyes, I knew those words plunged like knives deep into Corey's heart. Little sister? Is that really how he felt about her? I'd read some of his letters, and one might have concluded from them that he was being less than forthright, but no one would have believed that he only saw her as someone's little sister. I wanted to slap him right there, but before I could say or do anything, he continued. Corey, he said, looking her squarely and unflinchingly in the eye, this is Isabel Kempert. He gestured with a nod to the woman. She is my fiancée. We are to be married in June. And that was what I wanted to tell you when I wrote you before. I just didn't think it was proper to tell you in a letter. A friend such as you deserves to hear it in person. Friend? I shuddered at the sound of that word and felt it rip into Corey's soul. Her eyes filled with tears and a small gasp escaped her throat. In an instant, I sprang from my chair, moved between them. Corey was on the verge of losing control, and I wasn't about to let that happen. Not right here in front of Carol. The dishonest, vapid little man and his oh-so-proper, newly-announced little, I caught myself and forced a smile. Isabel, what a lovely name. Thank you, she replied. I extended my hand to her. Let me take your coat. She slipped it from her shoulders and draped it over my arm. Carol, I said with a nod, if you'd let us know you were coming by, I would have dusted the shelves. Oh, no need to make a fuss. We can't stay long. Nonsense. You can come upstairs for coffee and cake. Aunt Annie baked last night, and I hear her putting the coffee on now. By then, Corey had retreated to the kitchen, and I turned towards the stairway to lead them up, and gave Papa a, gl- a look to say he should follow. For once he understood what I meant, and came without delay. When we reached the second floor, Papa took Carol by the elbow and guided him into the parlor. Tell me something. I hear there's a chance this war may end soon. What do you hear? I ushered Isabel to a chair near the piano and pulled another beside her so we could talk. A few minutes later, Aunt Annie served coffee and cake. Mama came from her bedroom, intending only to greet our visitors and return to bed, but stayed to talk when she saw what had happened. Corey remained in the kitchen, her back turned to us, and her face hidden from view. Carol and Isabel stayed about an hour, talking and chattering as if we were old friends and that everything was right with the world. It was so surreal like a scene from an inverted version of Corey's novels. When it was time for them to go, I walked them downstairs. Behind me, I heard Corey's footsteps as she rushed in the opposite direction toward her room. When we reached the door to the street, Carol paused and looked up towards the second floor. I had hoped to speak with Corey before we left. I think she's preoccupied now, I replied, perhaps another time. Yes, he had a perplexed look on his face, and his mind seemed to be somewhere else. Perhaps another time, he mumbled. And then they said their goodbyes, and the two of them stepped out to the sidewalk. No sooner had they crossed the threshold than I closed the door behind them. For a moment, I just stood there trying to make sense of what had occurred. Was he really that stupid? Did he know the impression he had given Corey about their future? Or was he simply calloused and uncaring? 
I would have stayed there longer, but the clatter of dishes in the kitchen caught my ear, and I moved upstairs to help Aunt Annie. I can't believe he... Hush, Aunt Annie snapped, cutting me off. I don't want to talk about it now. But he... Hush, she shouted, and I was caught off guard. She'd never shout about anything. I didn't want to talk about that worthless rag of a man right now. So we worked in silence, and when we were finished, I made my way to Mama's room. I would have preferred the rooftop, but it was too cold to go out there, and she wasn't well enough to get beyond her room. She was propped on a pillow when I entered. Poor Corey, she said, reaching up to dab the corner of her eyes. She must be so embarrassed. Perhaps I should check on her, I offered. No, Mama replied, lifting her hand from beneath the cover to wag a finger at me. Your father will handle it. You've spoken to him about this already? I don't have to. He knows what to do without being told. Well, there's certainly no need for her to be ashamed or embarrassed. I was talking to myself as much as to Mama. I know she is, but she didn't do this, even if she misunderstood what he was really like. Caring for someone is a risk, no matter who that person is or what kind of relationship it might be. But even after this, I think it is a risk well worth taking. Yes, you're right, I sighed and shook my head. But I can't believe how cruel and insensitive he was. But you must always remember, God loves him as much as he loves Corey, and as much as he loves you. That's difficult to fathom. I know, but you can't let bitterness find a place in your heart. You must forgive him and move on. I know, but what about Corey? How is she going to forgive him? Perhaps, Mama suggested, it would help if we thought about the situation from Carol's perspective. Family pressure. A mother insistent on having more and seeing him as the one to give it to her. Years of expectations drilled into him. Perhaps this was the best he could do. I don't want to think of it that way. And I didn't want to forgive him. Carol was wrong and he should pay for it. But I knew Mama was right. So sitting there in her room, we prayed for him and said aloud the only words that ever set anyone's spirit free. I forgive you. And next week it will be chapter 17. And I love you. I'm praying for you. And bye-bye for now. And by the way, my grandson listens to this recording every night before he goes to bed. So I just want to say good night, Aiden. I love you and sweet dreams. Bye-bye.